look at um, 1 Peter together. Um, you're doing really well. It's a really warm evening, isn't it? And um, so um, let's, uh, well, let's try and stay awake. <laughs> um, 1 Peter really is uh, a kind of um, a, a journeyman's guide in the Christian life. 1 Peter, um, it's like a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. So he addresses them in, in, in verse, um, verse 1 to 3 as um, those who are elect exiles. Um, they're they're travelling, they're away from home, and they're heading towards um, towards heaven, towards the, the promised land. And um, throughout the letter, Peter, he, he paints a picture of what the journey with, with Jesus looks like. And this evening, we're going to focus on, on just um, one verse, verse 11 of chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Um, There are some parts of the Christian journey, the Christian life, that are going to feel very, very bumpy. The road can be very bumpy, can't it, in the Christian life? And it can be very treacherous. It can be an upside-down kind of journey where there are contradictions and there are paradoxes and things that we feel that are backwards, things that feel backwards when we should be going forwards, things that are upside down. And Peter draws out some of these difficult things here. These verses, um, I think, mark a shift in the whole letter on how we relate to the world we're traveling through. Um, And it's a world that is not going to let God's people go on this journey lightly. This journey, the Christian life, is not going to be a walk in the park. And there'll be points of confusion, there'll be points of difficulty and frustration. And Peter warns us about a couple of them here. Number one, he says, we are going out of this world, but the world must come out of us. We are heading out of this world, but the world must come out of us. Uh, Peter repeats the idea that he uses at the beginning. We are... um, Followers of Jesus as exiles in this world. He uses that word, doesn't he? Or sojourners and exiles. Uh, you might have heard of, about someone going into exile, been, been, being sent into exile. It's a pretty big thing, isn't it? You might have heard of, of criminals going into exile. You send them away, don't you, from their home, from their home country to somewhere in, in isolation. Siberia, something like that. God's people, they they were sent into exile, weren't they? From their home, from their land, uh, to Babylon. Do you remember Daniel and his friends? Uh, They were in a place that they didn't belong. Uh, And they knew they weren't at home there, didn't they? They knew where their home was, and it it wasn't in Babylon. Uh, And as exiles in this world, it is a big thing. We're not supposed to get too comfortable we're not supposed to fall in love with this life and, and the things of this world. We're not to get too settled down here because we're in exile and, and we've got thoughts of our home elsewhere. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's true of Christians, that, that we have, or we, we should have this sense, 
we don't belong here. And we're longing for our home with Jesus. We're exiles. And so Peter drills this idea in, doesn't he? Um, this idea of separation uh, and of exile and of difference. He uses the word abstain, you see. Abstain. It means to, to hold back, doesn't it, from something or to, to, to keep at a distance from something. It's a very, very strong word. It means cutting out completely. Um, if you're a vegetarian, you abstain from steak, don't you? If you're um, gluten intolerant, you, you abstain from bread um, or glutinous bread. It, it is to cut out certain things completely and to stay away from them. So um, do you remember in his exile, Daniel resolved to abstain from the king's food or the king's drink, didn't he? Which had been offered to false gods. He kept himself from the things which were against God's ways in his place of exile. And so there's this active um, separation of, of certain things in exile. Um, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, um, we've been reading it. I've been reading it to Gabriel and, and Kit, our two lads, um, while we've been away on holiday. And uh, Christian, he's on a journey towards the celestial city, and he gets to a place called Vanity Fair. It's a town just before the Celestial City, and it's a town that the enemy, um, the Prince of Darkness, has, has built up, and he's filled it with all sorts of stuff to, to distract travellers on their journey. Uh, and there's this fair selling all kinds of merchandise, lands and titles and kingdoms and jewels and, and even people. And John, John Bunyan didn't say this, but it's as if Peter... Um, is, is writing this letter to a church in Vanity Fair. The, the church is, is meeting there, and, and this letter is designed to, to keep them moving past it, to, to keep them going forwards, not, not to settle down in Vanity Fair. He, he preaches his gospel in, in Vanity Fair, uh, and, he, and he's like those guys, isn't he? Uh, did you see in the Commonwealth Games with the water in the marathon? Drink the water and, and keep going. Keep moving forwards. Don't settle down here. Don't stop here. Don't build up your treasure here on earth. But be rich towards God. Keep moving. Don't love the things of this world, says John. There's this active moving forwards and holding back from certain things in exile. We're on our way out of the world. But here comes the big pothole in the road. The big confusion on the journey. We're on our way out of the world, but the world needs to get its way out of us. Because look again. In exile, what does he say? Abstain from this world. Well, he, he actually doesn't put it like that, does he? Abstain from the passions of your flesh. You see, on this journey, Vanity Fair is much closer to you than you think it is. You don't actually need to worry so much about all of the things that are going on out there in the big nasty world 
outside the church. Because the factory of trinkets and stuff that distracts us on our journey is not so much out there, but, but it's in here. It comes, Peter says, from the passions of the flesh. What, what does he mean there? He means that the person who most wants to distract you and hold you back and tell you to stop on the Christian life is not somebody out there or or the person sitting next to you or um, your unbelieving husband or your unbelieving wife or your boss. It's not the, the liberal elite activists and lobbyists. It is not the militant atheists. It is not them out there, but it's someone in here. A dark shadow that follows you around wherever you go. Your flesh, Peter calls it. Your flesh with its passions is the part of you that that remains, isn't it? Even now, after you've started on the journey with Jesus, if you have. And and your flesh, it, it will be removed completely one day in resurrection glory. But it's the leftovers in the Christian conversion, isn't it? Now in this life, before Jesus comes back. So it's like, as a Christian, you're released from slavery to sin. Peter says back in chapter 1, you were ransomed, you were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were released from slavery to sins by Jesus. And you belong to him now. Earlier in the passage that we read, you are a chosen people. You're a a, a new race. That is who you are now. But sometimes you'll hear your old master shouting at you, getting you to stand to attention. It's like you've walked out of prison, isn't it? But you remember your old prison warden shouting at you, telling you, commanding you. Your old master, sin lurks in the flesh there's the memory of him paul in romans 7 calls him the law of sin that works in the flesh an old law and an old code an old master that that shouts at you and affects you still that you feel you want to obey him still and so you might be on your way out of the world on this pilgrimage the the world that, that that rebels against jesus But the world that rebels against Jesus still lingers in you. It still haunts you and follows you in your flesh with its passions. Jeremiah, as we heard earlier, Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah, he says, the human heart, the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? Don't we get really angry about deceit, don't we? Um, When people lie, when the newspapers publish lies, or when politicians lie or deceive. We, We get really angry about that, don't we? We get really angry about misinformation or false news or whatever. Doesn't it really anger us? When, when we see what the people of Russia are being told in this war, doesn't that get your blood boiling? 
But let me tell you that the Kremlin propaganda machine has got nothing on deceit like your own heart. Jeremiah says, above all things, the heart is most deceitful. And don't you find that in your own Christian life? Don't don't you find that, that your own heart is the most devious, isn't it? The most deceitful thing, the most inconsistent thing, the most contradictory thing. The heart, it, it drives you forward in the Christian life one day, doesn't it? Or one week. And then the next, it's, it's grinding the gears and it's mashing the brake pedal and just saying stop. One day the heart is warm for Jesus, the next it's cold and, and couldn't care less about his commands. One day you're, you're loving other followers of Jesus Christ, the next you've got no patience with church. Just can't be bothered. One moment you're saying lovely things to a neighbour, the next you're slagging someone off, aren't you, when they cut you off in the streets. The heart is like that. The passions of the flesh within me. The heart will deceive you above all things. It will deceive you as to why sinning is so good. And so it's one of the really confusing things about the journey of the Christian life. If I've started and I love Jesus, why is it so hard to keep going? It can feel like two steps forward and, and one step backwards sometimes, can't it? With, with sins and, and struggles. And that is because God has to work not just to take you out of the world, as if everyone and everything else is my biggest problem, but he's got to take the world out of you. And he's got to draw out our fleshy passions like poison from a wound. And one of the ways you know he is doing that in your life is if you feel this frustration with yourself. Somebody once said, we've met the enemy and he is us. You know that you do things that you don't want to do on your better days. And you're concerned about God, what God wants you to do, and you're frustrated that you fail to do it again and again. You've seen the enemy, haven't you? And you've recognized him. It's you. It's your flesh. And it's passions. And if you've seen that, and you've felt that frustration, that is a good sign. It is a good sign that you've recognized the enemy the old man, the old woman. You've got him or her in your sights, haven't you? And you know how to go on the offence and and pray, not just about your finances, not just about your friends and your family and those kind of things, but the content of your prayers changes, doesn't it, as you realise what is going on in yourself. It goes from outward problems to the inward problems of my heart. Oh Lord, that there's this thing in my, in me that I've seen your word tells me about, about me. A, a kind of residue of who I once was before I became a believer. The leftovers. Uh, and it's, it's where I've realized that I really need your help. Don't just change my finances, Lord. Don't, don't just change my family situation. Don't just, change my friendship group 
Change my flesh, Lord. Help me to subdue subdue my flesh, my old sinful nature that clings on in this life and its passions. And as you start to pray like that, well, then the enemy is in your sights. The enemy is us. So it is abstaining from sins in the world. But to abstain on the journey is being aware of the wrong passions in our own hearts. And it's it's getting better at at saying no, saying no to the flesh, to the old slave master. I'm, I'm no longer your slave. I belong to Jesus now. He is my master. And the journey of the Christian life is is walked at at that level of what the heart is doing and of using every weapon God provides to abstain from the sinful flesh out of the world and the world out of us. And that is why the journey isn't a walk in the park, isn't it? It feels like two steps forward and one step backwards. But that's a good sign. But then secondly... And and lastly, the next difficulty or contradiction that he mentions here, he says, um, he explains, really, that we're at peace with God, but there is a battle for our souls. We're at peace with God, but there's a battle for our souls. Why are you so frustrated in the Christian life at times? Why, Why are there so many failures and potholes and dangers on the road? Well, the truth today is that when you have peace with Jesus Christ through his gospel and when you belong to him and you're following him, when you have peace with Jesus, you will feel and hear the rumblings and trauma of war all of the time, constantly. When you have God as your enemy when you're without the Lord Jesus Christ, all of his enemies are your friends. No one and no thing will try and stop you from following Jesus then. Life will have its troubles, but following Jesus won't be one of them. But as soon as you start on that journey with the Lord Jesus, when you have peace with God... All of his enemies will turn their weapons against God's people and against you. And everything and everyone that stands against God will try and stand against you. So see how Peter began the letter. And um, we looked at it briefly, chapter 1, verse 2. And it's the kind of bit that you skip over when you're reading the Bible. So he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And it's actually how he ends the letter as well. Chapter 5, verse 14. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter starts and he signs off the letter. And it's not just like a nice warm gesture, you know, um, dear church, um, have have some peace, love from Peter kind of thing. Um, It's not just a wish. Um, It's not just a nice sentiment. It it is actually a a promised blessing, an apostolic blessing upon Jesus' people on behalf of Jesus. Peace from Jesus. Peace is what Jesus promises his followers, isn't it? Do you remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples in that locked room and the first thing he says to them, peace be with you. He says, 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The angels say to the shepherds, don't they? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, And that is the gospel. Peace with with God through Jesus Christ. That that word is a declaration, isn't it, from God of of a ceasefire of of peace with, with himself and with human beings through Jesus. The ancient war between God and and sinful rebels like you and me is over because of Jesus. There is peace. And the walls and and the barriers that our sin caused are are broken down in the gospel. And there is peace. And there is welcome. And there is home. And there is family. And there is smile. And there is togetherness and union with God. When you follow Jesus... God says we're at peace. But as soon as God declares peace with you through Jesus Christ, you'll find another war starts to rage in your life. As soon as you become an ally of Jesus Christ, another enemy fights you. Look again at verse 11. It's just another um, element of this verse, isn't it? Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. You know, the old slave master, Sin, um, he has no authority now. He can do a lot of damage. He's like a bull in a china shop. He can do a lot of damage but he has no authority. He's got no right to be there. This old slave master, he's not just a nuisance. He's not just minor annoyance. He is your sworn enemy. And his only desire is to make war with your soul. His desire is to wage war. It's quite a strong um, way of putting it, isn't it? Think of people who wage war warlords their only desire is just to battle all the time and to wage war he is someone who is relentless and merciless and they just want war all the time they've got nothing else they want to do but cause as much damage to your soul as possible and it's like that with the old slave master sin the passions of the flesh So these passions, they won't give up easily, will they? They they don't take any rest. They're relentless. They are there. Just when you think you've got control of your habits, like the birthday candles, they just keep coming back. They're ready to congratulate you in your successes, to make you proud of yourself. But then the next minute, they are there to discourage you in your failures and make you despair of yourself. And there's a constant tug of war between what Jesus calls you to be and believe about yourself in him and the passions of the flesh. And there are no ceasefires. There are no negotiations. It is war. All-out war. There is peace with God for the Christian. And these passions cannot take that away. You belong to Jesus body and soul but the passions of the flesh won't let you go without a fight will they 
But this struggle, let me encourage you, this struggle is a sign that you are on the journey. Um, they say in World War II that um, the Nazi regime um, grew most violent uh, in its downfall, didn't it? Um, Adolf Hitler, as he realized his end, he became more and more destructive and hateful. The bombs rained down most uh, as the Nazi regime fell down the most. What he knew he couldn't have, he tried to destroy. And followers of Jesus, you see, they have been ransomed and rescued and they belong to him inescapably. But the passions of the flesh, they won't go quietly into the night. And it's why Jesus talks so much about keeping watch over yourself. You belong to him and he will not lose any that belong to him. But he says, doesn't he, watch and pray. Watch and pray. He, he spoke to his disciples on that, um, on that challenging evening in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And that really is, is the catchphrase of the Christian life on this journey. It's like there's this watchman on the walls of your soul. Imagine it like a fortress. And, and night and day, this, this watchman walks around looking for the next attack, the next desire to come from the heart and pull you off the road. Striking how Jesus talks about prayer, doesn't it? Watch and pray. Prayer. Is, is this great weapon against the passions of the flesh, against temptation. The problem is we don't think it is, do we? We, we don't think it's a great weapon. Prayer is, is one of the hardest things to do, do you know? Because the flesh knows that it is one of the most devastating weapons against it. It's like one of those scenes in a movie. Um, it's the good guy and the bad guy, and they kind of face off at the end, don't they, together? And the good guy is pinned down on the floor, and, and he's, he's lost his gun, and he's, he's kind of stretching for the gun uh, to, to kill off the bad guy. But, but the enemy kind of kicks the gun, and it slides across the floor even further away, doesn't it? And then there's this struggle with, with the gun when he finally gets it and, it, and it's pushed one way and it's pushed back the other way. And the enemy, he'll, he'll do everything to, to try and stop you pulling the trigger of praying. Praying is it's really easy, isn't it? Reading the Bible, it's really easy. Praying is one of the hardest things to do. <laughs> Reading the Bible is one of the hardest things to do. Sitting down to pray is like battling with an enemy. Opening a Bible, it's like drinking milk, the beginning of chapter 2, but the passions of the flesh are always trying to pull it out of your mouth. The moment you sit down, the passions of the flesh say, oh, you can do it tomorrow. You're too busy. You're too bad to pray. Prayer doesn't even work. God doesn't listen, does he? 
And in the quietness of those moments, when you open up your Bible and when you come to pray, there is a war raging, isn't there? Constantly. But I want you to be encouraged by that. Because if sometimes you feel like you're making little progress in the Christian life, it can be a sign that you are well and truly on the right road. When you hear the noise of that war, it is a sign It is a sign of the downfall of the enemy. It is a sign that that you are at peace with God when you found all these new enemies springing up. It is a sign that you are really a friend of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the journey is slow and when you feel your failures, it it can be a sign, isn't it, that, that the Holy Spirit is actually working on you. Because you recognize the enemy and you recognize your own sins. And and knowing your enemy is half the battle. But um, let me say, um, if you don't feel this battle, and you're okay with everything that you feel and all of the desires that you have, you need to wonder whether you're behaving like a friend of Jesus. Whether you're at peace with Jesus. If the war of your soul hasn't reached your front door yet and your life, you can't think that you're a neutral bystander in this. You're either at peace with Jesus and at war with sin or you're friends with sin and at war with Jesus. They're the only two options. So think about it. Peter tells us to abstain from these sinful passions Um, It's quite stark, isn't it? He he just tells us, stop sinning. Stop sinning. Stop listening to the flesh. Get real about the war. Stop treating sin like it's your friend. Because it doesn't treat you like his friend or her friend. Jesus says, if your right hand causes you, you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body and go into hell. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Peter echoes this really strong language of Jesus, doesn't he? If there are are things in your life and in your desires that cause you to sin, abstain from them. Stop. And that could hurt. It's going to hurt, isn't it? Like cutting your hand. Jesus isn't meaning literally cut yourself, is he? But he is describing something very drastic and very major that might need to happen in your life. And if the watchman of your souls on the, on the rafters of the walls sees where the passions are attacking you, you, you need to act upon it if the alarm bells are ringing. Get a dumb phone if you need a dumb phone. Let the girlfriend go or the boyfriend go if they're not believing or they're not doing you good. Move the TV out of the bedroom. Get rid of whatever it is. Get a blocker on your Wi-Fi, whatever. Get an alarm clock if you're lazy. Whatever it is. Because these desires, they are relentless, aren't they? And as soon as you give them a chance, they'll regroup and they'll revive their attacks. There are no negotiations Christian journey is serious. It's war. But remember at the same time that the noise of war 
can never shatter the peace that you have with God. He is getting the world out of you. And the war is worst because sin knows its downfall. And the flesh lashes out in the hatred of its own defeat. Out of the world, the world out of us, at peace with God and the war for our souls. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, as exiles and strangers, you call us here to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And once more this evening, we, we head out from the from um, the world, into the world, but from the world. And we need you, Father, to, to drag the world out of us in our passions. Once more this evening, we, we head into war. No, we're at peace with God, with you. And we belong to you. And yours is the victory and yours is the weaponry that we need in the battle against the sinful flesh. Father in heaven, we, we simply pray now that you will help us to understand the true nature of the Christian life and that we won't give up. And when we fail and we will, we will fail, we praise you that the victory is won, that we are yours, ransomed. But Lord, we feel the dying battle cries of our sinful flesh and so, Lord, we, we pray that, that you would help us to resist sin and evil passions. Help us to cut off sins. Help us to hold the weapon, the, 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 the sword of prayer and of your word. And with the help of your spirit, we pray that this week we would learn to keep watch over ourselves. That you would deliver us from evil. And let us not fall into temptation and that we might know that promise of Jesus that we are blessed. Uh, Lord, as we, as we seek to do these things. So Lord, help us, we pray, um, for Jesus' sake. Amen.